Well, we want to welcome you on Labor Day weekend. This is our last installment of our testimonies, which we have every summer. It's been based on the Song of Songs. And for those of you who are Bible students, we know that that was the third book written by King Solomon. And that's a story between this humble peasant woman and the king and how they fell madly in love. And this is a book that has many layers and many um, just angles of, of meaning for us. And so we've had people testify just how God has brought them together either as a couple or just sharing just their story. And so this morning, our last couple that's going to be sharing is Stu and Rebecca Weir. And um, so we're going to roll their testimony now um, in video form. Hi, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Stu. And we're the Weirs, and we've been married for two years this August, and we've been at Five Stones for the last almost year and a half, and we originally got connected through the Haps Young Adults group. Mm -hmm. And this is our story. Yeah. So I'll give you a bit of background. Um, I became a Christian in probably 2011, and the year after that, I started attending Trinity Western University, and I ended up graduating in 2015. Um, so, Rebecca and I, we actually took a class together. We didn't, we didn't know this until we had actually started dating, but we took a class together at Trinity and um, basically we had crossed paths, but we didn't really know one another at Trinity. And to this day, we actually still don't know how we originally got connected. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, whenever I would pass Rebecca at school, uh, I, kind of always thought to myself, like, hey, that girl's really pretty. Um, but I never ended up making a move while I was at Trinity. And then after graduating, that, that summer after graduating, a friend and I, we actually attended the, the uh, Taylor Swift concert um, in August, and I knew one of Rebecca's best friends, Liz. And so, uh, while at the concert, I reached out to Liz and said, Hey, I don't know where you and your friend are located, but there's plenty of room beside my friend and I. Um, if you're way up in the nosebleeds, uh, <laughs> you should come down and get closer to the stage. Uh, that's what they did. Um, yeah, and so I think that that was maybe, that's, our, that's I think, our best guess as to where we would have uh, originally actually started talking or get connected on social media. So after all that, I went traveling for a couple months in the fall of 2015. And then in 2016, I started my job as a software developer. Um, early 2017 rolled around. So now it's almost maybe two years, maybe a year and a half since Rebecca and I had seen each other. And uh, I went snowshoeing one, one day in February, and so did Rebecca, and uh, she posted some photos to her Instagram story, and I posted some to mine of snowshoeing, and I saw those photos, and I responded to her Instagram, um, 
story basically saying, hey, did we, did we cross paths on, on the trail? Um, I said no. <laughs> I was on a different mountain. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I mean, that started a conversation between us and I just asked how she was doing and um, asked if she wanted to just meet up for coffee and, and catch up. Yeah. So on my end of things, I grew up in a Christian home. I was a missionary kid overseas, um, but I'm actually from California. So my family moved up to British Columbia in 2011 and I ended up following them, well, coming with them so I could go to Trinity. So I knew who Stu was after he transferred because we had some mutual friends and I was not interested because he was way too outgoing and charismatic just like energetic and just felt like a bit too much energy for me. So yeah, we realized after the fact we had crossed paths at Trinity. We went to the Taylor Swift concert, still kind of nothing on my end. He just seemed like a nice guy. And then he messaged me about meeting up for coffee, which as anyone in the church knows is code for, hey, let's go on a date without saying it's a date. So. I was talking to my friends. I was like, is it a date? Is it not a date? So I actually reached out to one of our mutual friends and she was like, you know what? He's actually pretty straightforward. And if it's a date, he'll tell you. So since he did not clarify that it was a date, I went into us hanging out, just thinking like, you know what? We'll hang out. It'll be done. That's that. But what I didn't expect was to actually be attracted to him and have a really good time. <laughs> because beforehand, like Stu said, we hadn't talked to each other in basically two years. So the only thing I knew about him was what was on social media and his Facebook profile picture. He was like a mountain man with a giant beard and like long hair. And he got it cut and like trimmed his beard the day we hung out. So yeah, I was quite taken aback. <laughs> Yeah, and after our after our first meetup, um, I realized pretty quickly that I I wanted to ask Rebecca out. Um, I'm kind of the type of person that's pretty indecisive about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> sure, Rebecca can attest to that, but I also knew that I had to ask Rebecca out. Um, so a couple days later, I called her up and uh, I asked her out on a date. Um, I kind of had a silly idea for a date, which kind of didn't fully pan out, um, it, including, um, you know, making Swedish cinnamon buns. Uh, Rebecca was uh, quick to point out, however, that she can't have dairy, gluten, or eggs. And so instead we ended up making a vegan, gluten-free brownie recipe that day instead. So uh, that first day it was, uh, pouring rain out, like completely pouring. Um, and so we ended up just hanging out at my place and uh, chatting about life and just tons of different things. And um, yeah, we ended up spending quite honestly eight to 10 hours just sitting on my couch chatting. Um, we had one gluten-free vegan pizza break from Virtuous Pie. And aside from that, we just kept hanging out. And I remember after that date thinking, I don't remember a time where I've ever had a conversation 
um, that in-depth and that uh, long with anyone and it just was really promising to uh, to me to have that kind of conversation with someone and I just had a really good feeling about Rebecca I had I just felt like I think maybe I could marry marry this beautiful woman so yeah. spoiler he did <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so we both like started officially dating pretty quickly after that um and I think we both definitely had a bit of the love at first sight, which I think surprised both of us. And for anyone who knows me knows, like, I don't tend to lead with emotion. Like, I tend to think about things and rationalize and logic and whatever. And so it was, yeah, it was pretty surprising to me that I liked him so much from the beginning and, like, pretty quickly fell in love with Stu. And so I think because we both felt so emotionally drawn to each other, we were pretty intentional in having important conversations about like, what do we value and do our vision, our visions for what we want our life to look like and what we feel called to do in life and um, do those kinds of things align with each other. And one of the big things with both of us being Christians was our faith. Mm -hmm. And so we from the beginning kind of just chatted about we wanted to date at least a year to see each other in every season because I think honestly three months in we were like let's get married but we also wanted to have evidence of kind of like seeing each other in every season of life seeing each other in different situations whether they were happy or hard or sad and being able to walk through those things together just dating and so we spent a lot of time just kind of going on adventures like we would drive up to Squamish to get coffee and just go yeah do little things together and that was actually one of the things I really appreciated about Stu from the beginning was how he was up for trying new things trying new foods doing different activities and yeah, it was kind of funny because one of the things that originally was kind of a turnoff for me <laughs> towards Stu was how much of a people person he was, but that was actually one of the things that I really came to love about him because I naturally can kind of withdraw into myself and Stu is someone who's definitely helped me open up more. Um, and I've seen how genuinely he loves other people and how he's so outgoing because he just is very passionate about loving people and so that was one of the things that I really fell in love with about him and I think from the very beginning it's pretty obvious to me how he's really a man of integrity like he means what he says and he follows through and is someone who has a really good character and that really attracted me to him um he's really kind and considerate and thoughtful like if you know Stu, he, you know he can sometimes overthink things, um, yeah, which sometimes can be a little bit annoying. But also, but where it comes from is yeah, he's very thoughtful and he takes things important things really seriously, and that's something that I appreciate that he he thinks deeply about life, and we have a lot of good existential conversations, and. Yeah, from the beginning, it was just obvious how much his love was rooted in his love of God. 
and he wanted me to add his his humor is a, a key factor, <laughs> which I do. I do love his humor. But so those were kind of some of the things that as we were dating, I was noticing and I was like, you know what? I can marry this guy and have a really good life with him. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that I really loved about and, and still love about Rebecca, um, just, I mean, straight up her love and compassion for the people close to her is just astounding. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've experienced uh, Rebecca's thoughtfulness or, or care for, for the people um, close to her, I mean, it's truly a gift to, to be loved by, uh, by Rebecca. And she's a fantastic listener. Um, just, I, I feel like um, when you when you need to vent about something or just feel heard by someone, um, Rebecca has, I feel, has almost always done a fantastic job um, in in our relationship, even in the little arguments that we have and and whatnot. I feel like she she's really been a fantastic listener. She's truly genuine um and she's really really funny um <laughs> rebecca <laughs> is she's got this sense of humor that um that once she gets going she, she kind of just is just like a, a train she just keeps going with the jokes and it's really really funny and speaking of that um her laugh and her smile are just they're such a joy. They bring so much life to my life, uh, life to my life. Um, and yeah. Um, and I mean, the list goes on and on, but one last thing I'll add is just that Rebecca's really intentional about, um, just how she lives life and, um, she appreciates intentionality and she also, uh, is very intentional with, with the people around her. And, um, I think that that really, uh, builds meaning into relationships. And, uh, I feel like Rebecca's really encouraged that in, in our, in our marriage and our relationship before we were married. Yeah. Thanks. And yeah, so we were thinking about what are some of the things that we've learned while being married. Um, just for two years so obviously there's still a lot to learn um, but I, for me one of the big things was learning what it means to truly be kind and truly love someone because I think I think of myself as a pretty kind person and then I got married <laughs> and I was like this is hard um, because yeah I think like Sue said I appreciate intentionality but sometimes that can turn into me wanting things to be done a specific way or me being kind of rigid in the things that I want to do or how I want them done. And so it's been a lot of learning that my needs are not the only needs and my way of doing life is not the only way of doing life. And it's really important to put Stu above my own comfort. Not that my needs aren't important, but just yeah. in the sense that it's really important to learn what Stu needs and learn what makes him feel loved. And so it's been a lot of learning how to take care of myself and how to love Stu well and how those things don't have to clash. 
And vice versa. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that with that, it's been, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of fun. And Stu's the person who makes me laugh the most. And he's also the person who frustrates me the most. <laughs> and so, what? yeah, it's a lot of hard work. But I think that all the hard work definitely pays off in those harder conversations or harder moments. Um, and that actually leads into the next thing is one of the biggest things I've learned through marriage is I've learned a lot about God's love for me because being married to Stu, he sees me at my best and he sees me at my worst and he loves me through all of it. And I think that those moments is when I've really come to realize like, wow, this is what it means to be loved by God. Like Stu has been a tangible example of that. And so that's been inspiring for me to think about how can I love others the way that God loves me. Yeah, so um, in uh, Proverbs 27, 17, uh, it says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Speaking of the refining process that we experience when we have people to converse with, share ideas with, and interact with in our faith. Um, marriage is a lot like this verse actually because it has a tendency to sharpen us and when we have a God of love, grace, and peace, we can navigate life with our partner well, uh, trying our best to love uh, each other like Jesus has loved us. Um, so in, in the past couple of years of marriage, Rebecca and I have learned a lot. Um, but a few of these things um, have been how to communicate more effectively our needs, our dreams, and aspirations, how to have patience with each other and ourselves, and realizing that we learn a lot from our upbringings, and those can either help us or harm us, and when they are harmful, we need to have patience with one another and encourage one another. So these three things, communication, patience, and learning from the past actually have a direct correlation uh, to our relationship with God. God desires communication with us to have a relationship with us uh, through our interacting with the word, through reading our Bible and prayer. And for those who aren't in relationships yet, I'd encourage you to just practice uh, being in a relationship through communicating with God. I promise you, communication is one of the, the key <laughs> uh, uh, aspects of any marriage and um, it can be really helpful. Patience, love, and respect are all aspects that God grants us as well. He shows us digni dignity even in our low moments Jesus died for our sins, meaning before we were ever good, he showed patience, love, and respect towards us and continues to do so. Learning from our past, um, God throughout the entire Bible tries to help humanity learn from their past mistakes. The Bible was written by many different authors with many different experiences, upbringings, and trials, but God inspired the authors to write what they did. This is often called um, being a God-breathed or God-inspired work. 
all these biblical aspects, again, communication, patience, and learning from our past, carry through marriage in really beautiful and sometimes very challenging ways. These are what refine us. Rebecca and I's story hasn't always been easy, even though we have a great relationship. We still have mountains to climb, areas to grow and to learn, and ways to learn to speak love and truth, truth over one another. We've argued over silly things and big things, but God's grace and compassion towards us has helped us navigate our relationship, even when we don't feel we can do it on our own. Yeah, so that's us. Yeah, thank you very much for listening and uh, enjoy the rest of the sermon. All right. So thank you very much, Stu and Rebecca. It's great to hear a testimony that has such a fun and healthy vibe to it. You know, every story that we've heard this summer has been inspiring. And I love the mature feel of Stu and Rebecca's courtship, um, particularly as, as a young couple. It seems like they're already learning so quickly what many couples take years to learn. And this is something that the Bible loves when we walk in wisdom and maturity. And this theme of maturity is a great segue to my message because as they say on TV, the following content contains mature subject matter. Viewer discretion is advised. Uh, I'm ending our series on a decidedly zippy note as the title of my message is Sex Education According to God. Uh, maybe this is a good time to cover the subject in prayer. Or maybe this is a one time you don't mind if I preach for an hour or two. Actually, when I was praying last night, I have to admit I'm a little nervous because I've never preached a message like this in my 30 years of, of pulpit ministry. Um, but you know what? It's right here in the text, and it's right in front of us. So I need to be strong, and we can be confident. So, Father, we just look to you right now. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the breadth of it, the depth of it, and how you speak to our hearts. And as we look into this final message, God, from the Song of Songs, would you quicken your spirit, God, in our midst as we listen? Lord God, would you be speaking to our hearts and helping us to understand how you see this whole topic? We give you thanks right now. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if the Bible speaks to everything about human experience joy and happiness, purpose, achievement, defeat, redemption, jealousy, greed, motivation, society, justice. Why would it leave out addressing sex? Well, the answer is it doesn't. God does not leave this area void. He doesn't leave it to just outside voices to speak into it. Rather, God speaks directly to this subject because he's the ultimate expert on sex. He's the one that created it. In Genesis, we learn that sex is for procreation. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what the scripture says in chapter 1, verse 28. But now in this book, in the Song of Songs, we learn that sex has another purpose. It's for pleasure. The first purpose is to propagate the human race, and the second is for enjoyment. When God speaks about sex like this to us, what is he doing? He is sanctifying sex. He is putting his approval on it. He's endorsing it. He's wanting us to enter into the full blessing of it. If there's anyone that should enjoy sex, Christians of all people should enjoy it the most. 
because we have the best teaching on it. The way that culture portrays God's view on sex is very distorted. People think that God is Victorian, that he's prudish, that he's inhibited, as if God holds his nose when we talk about this subject or has to leave the room. Song of Songs is meant to shatter all those misconceptions. It is meant to give us a gospel-centered view of sexual relations, which means another title for this sermon could be The Good News About Sex. I mean, think about the opening scene of Genesis. My goodness, it starts with a naked couple. How bold can you get? Don't you think that that's quite bold of God? That in itself should make you go, what? What's happening here? Am I missing something? What is God saying? God was not shy about Adam and Eve being naked. If I were writing the first chapter of the Bible, I'm not sure I would put that in there. Can you imagine what Moses, who was the author, was thinking when God told him to put that to paper? Are you sure, God, that you want me to write that? But right from the start, God was telling us something powerful about how he sanctifies sex. He draws a circle. And this is exactly what the Shulamite woman teaches us. Again, just as a refresher, the woman and the king, as in Solomon, that he fell in love with and she fell came from a city called Shunem. And so we refer to her as the Shulamite woman. And so this is what she teaches us in chapter 2, verse 7. She says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In the midst of being swept off her feet and being head over heels in love with the king, the Shulamite woman says something very, very mature which is the key to this whole book. In this verse, which she repeats also in the middle of the book and at the end of the book, she says, don't stir up or arouse love until it so desires, meaning don't awaken the fires of love until it's time. And to make sure that we don't miss her point, she says, I charge you. When's the last time one of your gal pals says, I charge you? In some editions, it says, I adjure you, as in, you need to really listen up. This passionate love that I'm describing, it's overwhelming. It's everything that you dreamed of. But you must wait for it until the right time. Until you're inside the circle, until you're in the garden like Adam and Eve were before they got naked. What is that circle? That circle is the circle of marriage. And vows exchanged of singular faithfulness and commitment to one another. The exhortation of the Shulamite woman is this, wait for it, gals. Don't give your body away, your love to someone, until they've committed to you in marriage. Don't waste your ecstasy on someone until they've earned the right to be your man. Don't give someone your deepest emotions and highest physical pleasure until the circle is drawn. It's inside that circle where sex is sanctified. And as we've read in this book, when sex is sanctified, it's hot to trot. God designed marriage in part to be for sexual fulfillment. It's God's provision for our sexual desire. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9 says, It's better to marry than to burn. And Proverbs 19 says, Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. 
No, we do not need sex to survive like food, but it is a big blessing from God. Inside this circle, God has designed sex to be pleasurable and intoxicating. And this is the explicit teaching of Song of Songs. Now, we've preached from this book from several different angles, from the marital happiness angle, from the spiritual intensity part, where we need to have passion for the Lord. We've talked about it from the aspect of the church and our relationship to Christ as the bridegroom. But the primary narrative of this book is about the sexual experience between a man and a woman. And that's why we, much pre- why we must preach it with as much gusto as any other part of the Bible because it represents the full counsel of God. This is part of the counsel of God. He's not going to leave it to our own imagination, our own devices, or how we would guess about it. Physical pleasure comes from a man going into a woman. The Shulamite woman said in chapter 4, verse 16, Let my beloved come into his garden. This is a poetic way of describing the actual act of coming together. And King Solomon says, I've come into my garden, my bride, in chapter 5. It's designed to be a climactic moment. You can't get more intimate than sharing your bodies in this way. And in the process of coming into these climactic moments, God sanctifies and endorses the various aspects that are part of the buildup and consummation of that physical fervor. So I want to cover some of the aspects that are given to us in this book. And the first is that there is the aspect of passionate kissing. Now please follow along with these verses because I want you to see it in the text. These are not things that I'm making up. I'm literally just drawing them out and highlighting them for us so that we understand God's teaching about this area. So when I say she, in the verses that you see there, that's referring to the Shulamite woman speaking. When it's he, that's King Solomon that's speaking. So right there in chapter 1, verse 1, right off the bat, she said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And she says, his mouth is full of sweetness. And she says, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. That's deep kissing. Passionate kissing is part of the experience, and we see this being communicated to us right from the get-go. We also see another aspect involves perfumes and colognes and evocative scents. She says, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. She also says, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. So there's this nonverbal dance that's already going on before there's actual any engagement. There's the scent going out. There's perfumes and colognes that's setting the stage. And he says, how delightful is your love, my bride, and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. It's amazing how smells can trigger memories, can, can trigger different emotions and feelings. And so it's very much part of just the coming together. You know, just like the smell of fresh bread coming out of the kitchen makes us hungry, so fragrances can stir up and get the engine going. Another thing that we read in the book is that there's the aspect of being visually feasted and stimulated. 
A guy can be visually stimulated by looking at a girl, and a girl can be visually stimulated by looking at a guy. Every feature on the body can be alluring and captivating. Now, there's two main passages in the book in which Solomon just extols the beauty of the Shulamite woman. He talks about, and I've quoted this on the PowerPoint for you, how beautiful are your sandaled feet. Your legs are graceful like jewels. Your navel is like a rounded goblet. Your waist is like a mound of wheat. Your breasts are like two fawns. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like pools of Heshbon. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. And he goes on and describes every single part that is just so captivating to him. Again, we've heard this as a theme through all the different testimonies through the summer. There's one little thing that just completely captivated the other person. Stu is so funny and Rebecca is so beautiful and their laugh and the crinkle of their eyes or the way they respond. It's amazing how these little things impart a grace to us that become everlasting. And so King Solomon saying, all these things about you just completely bring me into your world. And she says the same thing back to him in chapter 5. He, she also extols how handsome he is. My beloved is dazzling. Just love that adjective. His head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like cluster of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves bathed in milk. His cheeks are like a bed of balsam. His lips are lilies. His hands are rods of gold. His abdomen is carved ivory. It's probably where Michelangelo got his inspiration. His legs are pillars of alabaster. So there's this aspect of being drawn visually and physically to our spouses. Another thing that's brought out to us is that there is the physical, intimate, skin-to-skin touching and enjoyment. So she says, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. It's a very intimate moment. She says, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Very tender, very close. He says, the beams of our houses are cedars. Our rafters, cypresses. Now, why would he bring out this detail? He's not an architect or a contractor going around and looking at the building materials. No, he's talking about laying in bed with his wife on their backs and noticing the materials on the ceiling. They're lying side by side in a very intimate setting. We also see that Song of Solomon talks about how this love romance can happen in different places and locations and spaces. So this one is a little eye-opening. She says, our couch is luxuriant. Oh my goodness, like uh, this is happening somewhere else besides the bedroom? She says, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let's spend the night in the villages. Let's go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, for their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. Different places, different locations. He says, under the apple tree, I roused you. This is all part of the, the, just the, the whole body of experience that comes with marital consummation and how there's so much variety and excitement around it. 
We also see that there's romantic words and invitation and proper mood setting. She is just taken by the words of the king. My beloved spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. The winter's past, the rains are over, flowers are appearing on the earth. There's the cooing of the doves. The fig tree forms its early fruit and blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. He's painting a picture for her. This is the setting. This is the mood. This is, this is the perfect time for us to be together one-on-one. And then this kind of cute little verse in chapter 2, verse 15, where Solomon says, Catch for us the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So maybe they're having a wonderful intimate time, and all of a sudden the foxes are darting in and out and interrupting and disturbing their time. Don't let your phones interrupt you. That's a mood breaker. We have it right here, right here in the scriptures. Don't let the foxes ruin the vineyards. Then we see that there's anticipation and tension. He says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna and nard. So he sees like there's this treasure to be unlocked. And there is this anticipation. There is this, this, this thing that is just driving him crazy. He can't wait to open this gift. He goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 14, My dove in the cleft of the rocks, in the hiding place, on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Stop teasing me. Don't draw this out. But there is this process of foreshadowing of what's to come that cries out for resolution and relief. It's all part of the experience that God gives between a man and a woman. Another point here, Point eight and point nine are going to get even racier. All night love sessions with attendant intense activity. Again, we have it right here in chapter two. My beloved is mine and I'm his, I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Browse all you want, my lover, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. She repeats this idea of the gazelle in chapter 8, verse 14. Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle, like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. She's referring to King Solomon as a young stag, and she's referring to herself as a spice-laden mountain. This is very strong poetic language. The picture of a young stag on the rugged hill speaks of a joint physicality that expresses one's desire to satisfy each other with vigor and to make use of the night hours, all of them if needed, to fill each other up. And he says this in chapter 7, the king, your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree I will take hold of its fruit. This is very vivid imagery. This verse collectively, these verses collectively, paint a picture for us of a kind of intensity to lovemaking. There's even a kind of a fury around it. 
And she said, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. So strong desire is very much part of the scenario, a kind of rip each other's clothes off kind of passion. And then we have this here. There's the aspect of exploring, tasting, imbibing of intimate regions. She says in chapter 6, my beloved has gone down to his garden. He's not referring to a physical garden. He's referring to her. She's referring to herself. To the bed of spices, to browse in the garden and to gather lilies. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. She says, let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruit. And this is so important. There's the idea of permission that's given. You know, to touch a woman is the, required the highest permission under heaven. You don't touch a woman unless they give you permission, right? And we have a whole culture now that has come up because there's been so much abuse in this area, but you don't touch a woman. And not only is she saying, not only can you touch me, you can come into my garden and taste of all the choice fruits. He says in return, I've come into my garden my sister, my bride, I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. The friends who are watching, which we've talked about as part of the artistic writing, are encouraging, eat, friends, drink, and imbibe deeply, O lovers. So we're getting into some very intimate stuff, but it's all good, and it's to be delightful, and to be drunk freely from. So you bring these elements together and you realize that there is a very strong intoxicating nature to sex. He says, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? Now, there are a lot of wine um, connoisseurs in our church and they love to enjoy different kinds of wines and red wines and white wines and dry and I don't really know much about it. I just read about it in magazines. But I know that wine is such a pleasure for people. And Solomon's saying, despite the best wine in the world, you are more pleasing than a wine. And she says, I'm faint with love. In fact, early on in chapter 1, she is so lovesick, she says, revive me with raisins and slices of apples. I had a funny story, a good friend of mine back in Minneapolis, he had gone through a, a terrible divorce, his wife deserted him, he was just heartbroken, and, and God was able to really redeem his marriage, bring along a, a, a beautiful um, wife for him, and um, we were roommates during that time, and finally he got married, and he said, Rich, when I kiss my wife, I literally slip out of consciousness. <laughs> I literally lose consciousness when I kiss her. Now, I was thinking, wow, that's a pretty powerful kiss. But this is the idea where this woman is so lovesick. She's like, revive me with raisins and slices of apples. That's the intoxicating aspect. And then we have this point here about face-to-face -face intimacy. She says, let him lead me to the banqueting hall and let his banner over me be love. In this verse, the Shulamite woman has allowed Solomon to be physically over her, to lay upon her. The banner is not like a flag. 
The banner is his literal body over her. And God has uniquely designed the marriage bed to be a face-to-face encounter. We're the only species that consummates face-to-face. Animals in nature do not do this because they are not called to communion and intimacy like we are. Looking into each other's eyes, seeing each other's faces is the ultimate in fellowship. This idea of face-to-face is the highest designation of fellowship. Exodus 33 tells of Moses speaking face-to-face with God. That's where his authority came. That's where his intimacy came. That's where his relationship came. And it's all in this metaphor face-to-face. And so God has set up in creation because we are created in his image. He has set up this amazing picture between man and woman. That face-to-face communion is the highest level of friendship and fellowship. It's also the basis of community. Being in person with each other and seeing each other's faces. This is so important. And that's why COVID casts a tint of sadness on us because it prevents us from seeing each other's bright faces. It's so important for us to stay connected. We cannot allow COVID to separate us, to break our bonds of fellowship, to keep us away one from another, to drift spiritually, to get out of the rhythm of fellowship. And that's why part of our fall launch is to help us and to facilitate our connections once again. Because once the face-to-face connection is broken, we lose something. We lose the strength. We lose the comfort. We lose the encouragement of one another, even if it's just saying hi, even if it's just sensing something about them. Either we can encourage them or they can encourage us. So in the end, this face-to-face intimacy is a powerful, powerful picture. These are some of the ways that Song of Solomon endorses and blesses the sexual experience. Isn't it amazing that all this information is in here? Yet it's here without it being lewd or dirty, disgusting, degrading, humiliating. It's all good. It's all God. We don't need to be shy once we're in the circle of marriage. It's a lifetime of growing together in your intimate lives. But remember that agreement and communication is the key. Sex is meant to be that mutual experience, not where one dominates or demands things. In effect, Song of Song takes back what the culture has hijacked. Sex is not the domain of man, it's the domain of God. You think that pornography and Hollywood and romance novels are where we should learn about sex? Parents have completely abdicated their responsibilities. Kids in their young years, before they're even 10, are, quote, getting educated online. And it's such a distorted, wrong, perverted, dirty, lewd picture. But God has already spoken to us. He's given us the template. He's given us the standard. He gives, he's given us the way of tenderness and yet freedom. Song of Songs is the master class on sex. John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And that includes sex. This is the education that we need. We as Christians should be the best informed and best lovers. That's the gospel truth. 
Now, God has helped me share this message. It's not easy to talk about these things, but hey, it's right here in the Bible. Just like it's not easy to talk about judgment, it's not easy to talk about justice, it's not easy to talk about fiery condemnation, and yet it's part of God's universe of truth. It's part of the good news that we need to receive and understand and grow and to be made whole by it. I want to close in prayer. And last night as I was just committing my thoughts to the Lord, I just sensed that actually there's a lot of healing that needs to take place in this area. We talk about mental health, talk about suicide, talk about abuse. But this is one area that we don't talk much about. But I feel like this is an area that needs to be safely discussed because there's a lot of healing that needs to go on. There's a lot of hurt. And so, Father, we just look to you right now. And there's so much around this subject, Father God. And we've just touched it on it from just the, the healthy perspective. But so many of us, and even in our marriages, have gone through trials and difficulties and cried tears without hardly any support. We thank you, God, for this wonderful, wonderful picture and how we are to be filled up and we are to enjoy the blessings and benefits of marriage physically and how we have liberty to do it as We've been taught by Solomon and the Shulamite woman. I pray for those that have been struggling. Spirit of grace, would you come and touch? Spirit of grace, would you come and open up lines of communication between husband and wife? Would you give a, a humility to reach out, to ask for assistance and comfort and wisdom from those that might be able to help? For those that are on the front side of marriage and are yet to get married, God, would you brand something into their hearts and minds even today about what sex looks like from the gospel's perspective and to say that it's all good inside the circle and to save our bodies and to save our experiences until that moment where we say, I do, one to another. We thank you, God, for your boldness. We thank you that you've put this right here in the scriptures, the inspired word of God. We thank you, God, this summer for just this series and all the different ones that we've heard and how they've encouraged us. And yes, God, for this final understanding from the Song of Songs and how you have blessed and how you endorse, God, the sexual experience. We thank you, God. We thank you that you're shining on us. We thank you for the health that you want to create in our midst. And we bless you now. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. Well, have a great week. We're going to be praying for families as they get ready for kids going back to school. And we will see you next Sunday.